Hello everybody and welcome once again to the second podcast in our hashtag Build to Perform series. If you didn't actually catch the first one, you can go onto the Sibsi website and look for the Sibsi blog where you will find the podcast up there. You can also search hashtag Build to Perform on iTunes now and you'll be able to find that amongst all the other wonderful podcasts there are online. First of all, we're talking about National Women in Engineering Day and the issue of women in engineering generally. Uh, now we've got uh, Sarah Kassam, who is our Head of Sustainable Development here, and we have Juliet Rennie, who is the SLL Coordinator. And they're going to be both having a chat today to uh, find out some of the things that we've been doing for National Women in Engineering Day, what it's all about, and what are the, some of the uh, issues that women face in engineering today. But before we hear from our guest today, I spoke to Susie Diamond earlier in the week. She's one of the co-founders of Inkling LLP and one of the primary founders of WIBSI, the Women in Building Services Engineering Group. I caught up with her at her kitchen table in North London to hear about what she thinks of women in engineering and the current state of the industry. Well, to start off really, um, WIBSI, as, as uh, the Women in Building Services Engineering Group, was kind of a kitchen table start, wasn't it, in terms of how it came about? It was a very ground up sort of... Yeah, so very, very early on, it, it happened because of a LinkedIn group that was set up by SIBSI some time ago for SIBSI women that both Sarah Davis and I found and posted in mm. to see what was happening. Um, and we found each other and we agreed to meet for a coffee and we both had similar stories and a similar desire to see women in building services championed and it all kicked off from there. Right. Sarah Davis being the most formidable doer I've ever come across, <laughs> worked miracles to get things off the ground. She negotiated with Sibsi, we, we put the group together and we started putting together what we felt would be the necessary sort of program. So the, the key things for us right from the get-go were that women within Sibsi needed an opportunity to meet each other and just share experiences and know that what they were potentially experiencing was quite normal and that there were solutions and that there were networking opportunities outside of the sort of the pub and the, the more male dominated routes. Sure. That there was a sense of solidarity amongst women in the, in the industry that could be built on that mentoring was a really valuable way to encourage and support uh, women who are hitting potentially difficult periods in their careers. Mm. And that actually offering female role models to the industry was a really valuable contribution because although we all benefit from, from all role models, and I've learned a lot from many men in the industry, there, there comes a time when you do need some access to female female role models just to sort of show you how they present themselves, how they conduct themselves, how they carry that dignity and, and gravitas mm. while still being female. It opened my eyes when I saw women presenting at some of the events we organised that actually I had a lot to learn in that area. It really helped me personally. So I felt, we both felt it was a really useful thing to to provide with that access to that that side of things. Sure, I mean, a lot of what we've seen people doing, you know, it's, to help women in engineering is starting off quite young and also starting off in the sort of education side of it. So there's been a lot of work to try and get girls and women at school to do uh, some sort of scientific STEM subjects that will get them into engineering. But also there's the other side of it, which is to keep women who are already in engineering within the business and to make sure that they continue to progress. And I think there's, there's that more what you're sort of focused on. Yeah, I mean, I think often you see graduate intake rates being quite healthy in uh, certainly the world, but, but in this country as well, in the UK. But there does seem to be an issue, and this is what personally affected me and Sarah, with mid-career 
and usually the onset of families um, and I think this affects men as well I think just having small children requires you to be a bit more present at home and that naturally impacts on your experience of, of work and, and how hard you find it to accommodate the presenteeism culture in some organisations how difficult it can be to just get that little bit of flexibility to hit a doctor's or a dentist's appointment and you know if you need permission in triplicate for <laughs> for getting you know even being a couple of hours late in the morning even when you're well intending to make that time up or so a lot of the stories that you hear when you ask people why they've left the industry or why they've changed jobs within the industry is because of that feeling that they can't maintain the their career at the rate it was going because of the need to do those hours or the need to to work that in that rigid environment and that feels like a shame so it's sort of meeting in the middle then really is it very much so and i think the the thing the key to flexibility is that it works both ways and i think most people particularly when they hit middle management are quite grown up and sensible and we have to get over the idea that people will abuse the system if they work from home and we have to get over the fact that the flexibility will all go in their direction because i think people who might be running teams and have quite senior jobs we appreciate that our job needs us to deliver on certain key points mm. might need us at particularly important meetings on a day that we're not necessarily due to work how best can we accommodate that is there a way of dialing into that meeting or switching our days off to be there for that meeting and i think that offer of flexibility has to be something that's talked through and and be transparent about I think we just need to be grown up and put our cards on the table and talk about what both sides of the agreement need in terms sure. of the employer and the employee and how best to optimise that relationship. So if I were for example an engineering company or, or a, an engineer who was in charge of a, of a team that had women in it what, what do you think I could do sort of immediately to, in order to, to make it more flexible and, be, and better for a woman to, to help her progress? I think talk to them I think um, well talk to everybody in your team I don't think you probably need to think about special treatment but mm. I think be very aware be who be conscious of who the parents are in your team what they need and whether they're coping okay mm. male or female what their childcare arrangements are people do have lives outside work that's a bit inconvenient for some employers <laughs> who'd much rather we didn't but most of us do and most of us who actually having those outside lives can make us a lot more valuable as employees it can make us have greater insight at problem solving it can make us better at seeing the bigger picture and better at perhaps coming out with unexpected uh, solutions to problems that maybe mm. aren't seen by those who have their nose so tightly tied to their desks. Oh, <laughs> well, indeed yes <laughs> they don't see out. and i think that's an important point you made as well in that a lot of the time when we talk about uh, women in engineering, it seems to be a bit of a sort of doom monger type situation where everyone's saying, oh, there's you know, so few people involved, it's quite difficult to you know, in improve the situation and it's just not a very, very positive message. But the, the important thing is to, is to tell employers actually that this is a really good opportunity for you. You can actually much broaden your skill base and you can actually you know, get a lot more out of people if you just listen to them and help. Absolutely, and we're told there's a skills crisis in the industry. We really need every single good engineer we've got in this country to pull together. We, we've got all sorts of exciting projects, hopefully still on the go, and uh, to exclude a big chunk of the workforce because they're a little bit inconvenient in terms of their working plans, I think is a, is a huge oversight. I think that's a big mistake we could be making. I think there are positive stories that come out and I think there's lots of women who are doing really well in the industry and perhaps don't want attention drawn to the fact that they're women because they don't see that they need to be distinguished out from 
everyone else and I think that's a valid point of view but I, we do need to just be conscious that when you look up at the senior ranks in within our big organisations mm. there tends to be not as many women there as you might expect from the number of graduates we're employing um, and that we do need to think about and perhaps worry about. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much uh, for coming on the show and talking to us. Thank you very much, Susie. You're very welcome. So here we are, back south of the river in Balham, and first of all, we're going to be talking about National Women in Engineering Day. So, Sarah, first of all, um, what's National Women in Engineering Day all about, really? What do you think it's about from a sort of SIPSI perspective? Uh, well, this year we thought it was a great way to get involved in the campaign of raising profiles, which was the theme of National Women in Engineering Day this year. Um, and it was really to kind of celebrate uh, female engineers from the past and the present. So we didn't necessarily want to hear about all the people we all know about. There's lots of female engineers that are always fated, but there's so many other people, there's so many disciplines of engineering, especially building services engineering. Um, and we really wanted uh, people to nominate uh, people they found inspiring, female engineers who they thought were interesting and, and why they thought they were interesting. That's fantastic, yeah, I mean we, we did a uh, survey that we're going to be hearing a little bit more about later and in that survey we wanted people to nominate engineers past and present that they had found inspiring and the results were actually quite interesting. I think they were, first of all there was quite a big spread of people which was something we didn't expect, we didn't know how many were very well known in the public eye and it turns out there's at least 25 people that people had highlighted which was quite interesting and the other thing was the sheer range of industries that were represented I mean there were people from the energy side mechanical engineering side the electrical engineering side all, all the way around and it was uh, interesting to see that I think something that is interesting about that is that people tend to find out most about the career that they start in at school um, that's where everything starts you've got DT teachers introducing people to engineering right at the beginning what do you think the perception of engineering is at school, uh, Julia, for a start? Um, I think it is perceived as a male-orientated field, and I'm not sure that there are enough, although I'm sure this is changing, enough sort of female role models that are used to try and inspire students. Is it something to do with the way that it's taught, maybe, in school, or is it just that it's not introduced early enough, or not at all, even? Um, I think it's probably a mixture of things, maybe the way that it's taught. <clears throat> I think a lot of it is to do with role models. If I think back to when I was doing sort of design and technology, it was male role models and quite broad subject matter. It didn't go down into the sort of more nuanced parts or different areas where it can blend into creative sort of fields as well as more technical side of things. So I think that, that would possibly help if you kind of broadened it out into different areas of interest. Mm. That was actually something quite interesting that we saw from the survey was that a lot of the time that women were nominated it was because they, not just because their technical achievements obviously which were great, it was uh, that they'd been nominated because they found practical applications for that. Do you think it would be good if we you know, started off by showing the practical applications, would that appeal to, to, to young women more than it would necessarily? Uh, highlighting the relevance of various different fields. I know with, with lighting it's generally not something that's taught in school. Um, and most of the, the members that I work with and members of our committee, most of our members actually came into lighting accidentally, so it wasn't something that they learnt through school. A lot of them went through various routes within engineering or product design and then came across lighting by accident. Um, so that's a whole kind of field which isn't discussed at school, which is very interesting and there's so many different parts of it which I think would inspire kids to want to, to be involved in it. Sure. Um, so. Sarah, um, in terms of actually changing that then, what do you think are some ways that we could 
maybe change the way that engineering is taught or maybe change the way people are introduced to engineering to make it more appealing. We've got things like work experience, ambassadors, role models, that kind of thing. Well, I don't think we're going to be able to change the education system um, anytime soon. It is quite a huge area. Um, but as you've mentioned, it's uh, practitioners getting out into schools and but take the opportunity to really kind of advocate what engineering is, um, how broad it is, how children can get involved and how it's not just um, very kind of stereotypical kind of a profession that it's, you know, it's, it's only uh, fixing things or it's only doing like things like aeronautical engineering. There's just so many nuances and as Julia said, there's so many different fields just within building services. You've got, you know, you've got facades, you've got acoustics, you've got public health, you've got lighting, you've got sustainability side. There's masses and I think a lot of it is um, children having contact with people from all these professions. So I think what I'd encourage um, our listeners to do is find ways to become STEM ambassadors, but even on a more informal level, any connection that you may have with the school as a parent, as a governor, and there may just be a community appeal. It's just kind of getting out um, and explaining to children and showing them what an exciting profession it is, both for males and females. Um, But it is, I think, easier uh, for children when they see someone do it. So Mm. for um, a young female student, if they see a female engineer, a female lighter, they then think, oh, well, there's someone that's done it, somebody I can identify with, um, and hopefully it'll pique their interest to go and investigate that career path. So if you had to come down on one side of the fence or the other, would you say the onus is more on sort of government to to do something about it, or is it more on business to actually go out there and, and, and help and change things? I think, um, considering the current state of our government, it's definitely all up to all of us. It's business, community, individuals. It's um, We've kind of got to take the power back ourselves. And there's lots of formal schemes that we can be involved in and lots of informal ways. But it's really kind of everyone t- giving up a little bit of their time um, and making it their issue, whether you're male or female, um, going out and really promoting the profession. Fantastic. And Juliet, then, in your experience, uh, what, what do you think about the glass ceiling? Is there a glass ceiling in engineering or is it, is, is it being tackled now, would you say? I think, unfortunately, in engineering amongst many other industries, there is still a glass ceiling. I mm. think by the fact that there's still sort of a 15% pay gap in what men and women are getting paid within the engineering sector, I find that that's indicative of, yeah, there definitely is. It's not to say that it can't be broken and I think as things progress it eventually will change mm. it's just working towards that <laughs> and um what are you aware of any initiatives out there right now that, that you think are, are good and, and helping absolutely um, i was just reading about one called stemets mm. so it's a stem initiative they go into schools and it's mainly focused on sort of outlining what engineering involves and sort of uh, encouraging female students to get involved with maths and, and science and technology we also, as a society, we run a few um, sort of lighting education-based incentives. So we've got the Gene Heap Bursary, which was named after one of our former presidents who promoted lighting education throughout her career. Fantastic. A bursary which is offered for lighting research. So that's something which we try and encourage our younger members and people outside of the society to get involved with. Mm. Um, and it's to promote research into areas of lighting which may not have that much information at the moment, which will benefit the rest of the industry, both lighting and, and building services more generally. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, um, I think a lot of the stuff that I've seen that has been most high profile is a lot of the pictures of women engineers doing um, with their hard hats on at, at, at sites in different scenarios in the lab, all that kind of stuff. 
well, if you can say both of you like, what do you think is more important, that or the actual sort of research type stuff that you're talking about and, and helping? I think, yeah, they probably are equally important. I know, so our Young Writer of the Year from 2015, her research was fantastic. It was a really interesting paper and it was about light poverty, um, specifically in Lebanon. Mm. But her research also involved her video interviews and watching her conduct it and out in the field, which I think was hugely inspiring. It's just to show that she put herself out into these situations and really felt and experienced how they were for the people who live within sort of everyday life. Um, so I think that having the conviction and then the the will to, to follow it through, I think, which is inspiring. No, it's fantastic. I mean, it is actually an example of engineers not being sat at a drafting desk and also not being stuck behind a computer. They're actually out there fixing things and helping people in different parts of the world and solving big problems. Yeah. Okay, and the next thing we're going to talk about is actually the survey that I mentioned earlier. We had quite a few responses of people looking to talk about their most inspiring engineers throughout history, and as I say, we had a very, very different responses from people. Some people uh, picked some of the more famous ones, for example, Ada Lovelace was very popular, and she's very well known, I think, on the internet, especially amongst uh, women engineers as being a, a great inspiration. But uh, of you two, who are your favourite female engineers throughout history? Sorry, have you got any thoughts? Um, well, while I was looking into Women in Engineering Day and actually looking at the Raising Profiles campaign, I did have a look through um, kind of subsea heritage groups information on engineers um, who have made notable contributions to the industry. And there were some really interesting women in there, which I thought was great. So, um, Mary Pennington uh, from the US, and also the female, the first female member of ASHRAE. So it was really interesting seeing um, female building service engineers working in the fields of refrigeration and electrical engineering and how they then went on to quite high level teaching posts within universities. But at that time it was seen as quite a kind of a new and unusual thing. Um, and I often think that they kind of are not overlooked, but they're not kind of part of our education or knowledge mm. um, as other either male engineers are or some of the more notable females in other fields. So um, the bit I feel, find really interesting is actually promoting the women in building services engineering. Because mm. we know that, say, SIBSI membership is less than 20% female. I think SLL membership is around 10%. Yeah, so people who are doing some really fantastic things. So I'm kind of quite keen for the Raising Profiles initiative to actually get those people out there mm. and get their work out there. Well, indeed. I mean, I think one thing I noticed from reading the life stories of some of these people was that actually the reason they were so involved in academia was because they couldn't be employed as engineers because people wouldn't hire them and I suspect that had a lot to do with them being women probably at the time. So so yes, it, it, it's good to sort of see examples of people actually working in the industry too. Juliet, any thoughts? Uh, well, I feel hugely privileged to work with several women within the, the lighting industry who have just they've made huge sort of strides. Uh, for example, our president last year, Liz Peck, mm -hmm. uh, was probably the most uncompromisingly devoted and driven person and she has never sort of backed down from from any challenge she will see things through which i think the night of heritage light was quite a good example certainly of. yes so if, if you <laughs> didn't know about that then i would advise you to check it out i'm sure you'll be able to find a press release somewhere on the website about that it was a truly inspirational event and it was one of her brain children wasn't it Absolutely. the night of heritage light yeah she was a driving force behind it along with uh, rhiannon west who also worked on mm. that as well and she, she's now working out in australia but an absolute privilege to work with both of them and as I mentioned before, uh, Yumna Abdallah, our Young Lighter of the Year from last year, was absolutely phenomenal. Her research is incredible and it's such an important subject which is 
or light poverty. Mm. Yeah, it was a privilege to work alongside her and hopefully we'll continue to do so. Fantastic. Well, that's about all we've got time for this week. Thank you everyone very much for listening. If you would like to find out more, you can go on to the Sibsi hashtag build to perform blog, which you can find out via the website, or you can go on to the Twitter feed to the at Sibsi page, where you can find hashtag build to perform the hashtag, where you'll be able to find all the discussion and tweets associated with the blog there. We'll be back next month again, and we'll hope to see you soon.